wildly confusing brains. Talks and stories and multilingualism. Touching. Exciting. Quirky. And chiming. Welcome to our world. Hi everyone, this is Cassandra and Violaine from Wildly Confusing Brains Podcast. Thank you for listening. Today we have a very special guest, our dear friend and colleague, Jessie Leonard. Cassandra, could you present a little bit, Jessie, please? It's interesting since Jessie and Violaine and I, we studied together a while ago. I was doing my master's. Jessie and Violaine were doing their PhDs. And we haven't spoke since three years or four years, something like that. So Jesse, I know you are doing your PhD right now. You're actually finishing what's happening since we haven't seen each other in the last three years. Yeah. So firstly, thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be on this podcast and it's a pleasure to see you guys after so long. I think the last time we saw each other was before the pandemic. So it's been at least three years since, you know, I've really seen your faces and talked to you. So it's really great to see old friends. So like you said, I'm a PhD student at the University of Ottawa in the Spanish program. Right now I'm writing my thesis. I'm in the middle of the final stages of, of, <laughs> of writing. So it's kind of exciting. I'm expecting to finish within a year. So I'm pretty happy about that. Other than that, originally from Gatineau in, in Quebec, I come from a bilingual family, English and French, and I learned Spanish uh, starting high school and then went along with it through university and all the way to the PhD. So my life is pretty mixed up between the three languages. And uh, yeah, uh, that's basically it. Other than that, uh, I'm really interested in art, anything that's culture. I like collecting vinyls. I uh, like cooking too. I like going out to museums, that kind of stuff. That's me in a nutshell. Yeah, nice. And uh, I was also wondering, since you're doing your PhD at the University of Ottawa, uh, do you have maybe another hat are you only doing uh, your PhD as a student or are you doing something else at U Ottawa? Uh, no, actually, my uh, I'm doing my PhD in Spanish or Latin American studies specifically, but I also teach Spanish at the university as well. Nice. Could you tell us a little bit more about your projects and your thesis, maybe? Sure. So my thesis is on glitch art in Peru in the context of the post-conflict. So in Peru, there was a internal armed conflict in the 80s and, and 90s. And the events that took place during those two decades deeply shaped and transformed the country in, in, in many ways. And I'm looking specifically at how that period has affected artists that work in uh, with digital tools and digital aesthetics, specifically glitch artists, so artists that use glitches and errors or any kind of like um, kind of digital viruses things like that in their art and I'm looking at how they use that to kind of represent or discuss kind of topics related to the post-conflict condition in Peru. How did you get there? What was kind of the main point that got you interested in that topic? Uh, well I started my PhD in 2016 and with a different topic I was originally thinking of doing it on music in Canada, music by um, Spanish uh, language singers in Canada. So I had started with that, but it wasn't really working out. I wasn't really finding 
it was just wasn't working out. I think there, there wasn't an, a, not that there's not enough artists to really kind of build this project around, but I just wasn't really finding how to approach it and how to kind of work it. And so I was kind of struggling with with the project that I was I had started. And then I went to this conference in, in Lima in Peru in 2017. And within that conference, they showed this movie. There was a, there was a showing of this movie called Videophilia. And in it, the um, filmmaker included like uh, digital viruses or like digital glitches into the movie. So it's this regular feature length film with, you know, a story about these young kids in Lima and trying to figure things out. But when you watch it, there's all these glitches and pop-ups and GIFs and things from like the internet that are placed on the movie. So when I went in the theater and it started playing, at first I thought there was a problem with either the projector or the file that they were using to play the movie. I thought that something was going on. And then after a minute or two, I was like, oh no, that's just the movie <laughs> that's there on purpose. And I thought that was really cool because it kind of like, I don't know, made me aware of, you know, what I was seeing and it kind of like placed me in this position of, you know, awareness of me as a spectator for this, you know, piece of art. So it was kind of like a cool feeling to be kind of like aware that you're watching a movie while you're watching a movie. So then I started researching it and then I realized that in Peru, there's a kind of large community of artists that use glitches in their art. Like I, I could, I found easily several different artists kind of using the same aesthetic. So then I started asking myself, well, why is there this concentration of these artists in in Peru? What happens in Peru that kind of makes this, you know, uh, a thing that a lot of artists are doing? So then I started researching it and then that became very quickly, that became my, my topic. Do you have any uh, like names of one or two artists that you think we could be interested in if anyone wants to check out their piece of art? Sure. Juan Daniel F. Molero, he's a filmmaker. He has two feature-length movies that include this kind of aesthetic. There's Videophilia, and he has this other one called Reminiscencias. And you can find them both, I think, on, on the internet. Another artist that uh, is really interesting is Paula Nunez Torres del Prado. And she's really cool. She does a lot of uh, different things. She works mostly with quipus. And quipus are these, this kind of a, a pre-Columbian form of communication. It's like a series of knotted uh, string uh, that was used in the Incan Empire to, to communicate. Uh, and it's like an, an old form of communication. And she uses those and she turns them sometimes into like electronic things that when you touch them, different kind of things happen. Like she connects them to computers and she turns them into like more like digital tools. It's really cool. She also uses different uh, computer programs to like to enter glitches into old Peruvian Andean textiles to kind of re reshape them into this kind of like glitchy kind of fabrics. It's really cool. Those are two that I would suggest looking up because they're, they're really interesting artists. Well, we'll add the end links underneath our podcast so you can take a look and go into more depth. Yeah, thank you. So we're going to try to go back to the, a little bit more to the languages now that we know a little bit, a little bit more about you, Jesse. Mm -hmm. uh, so you mentioned being born in a bilingual environment, French and English, and then getting into Spanish in, in high school and 
keep uh, you kept going until now and forever <laughs> oh, in the Spanish world anyway. Can you maybe give us one word to describe uh, who you are in English, in French, mm -hmm. and in Spanish? Okay, well, I've thought about this a lot. <laughs> and uh, I would say that in, in English, I think I'm a little bit more curious. So I would say maybe curious. I think I use English a little bit more to connect to different uh, cultures or to consume media. So I think a lot of the art I engage with kind of happens through English, just also because English is more of a, you know, a global language that kind of can connect you to different, to different places and people. So I think curious in English, because I think I use English more as a tool. I think in French, I would say intense or like intense, because I think I'm pretty, I'm maybe a little bit more passionate in French. I don't know exactly why, maybe it has to do because that's, one of my first languages, I mean, I learned English and French together when I at home growing up, but I think French maybe is the one that I'm a little bit more emotionally attached to. It's the one that I really want to continue, like teach to my kids and continue living in it, always have it in my life in some way, even if I'm living outside of, you know, the, the Francophonie world, I think it's always something that I'm going to want with me. So I think there's a little bit, maybe a little bit more passion or intensity that I feel in French. And for Spanish, I think I would say sarcastic. I think that's a word that we use to describe me in, in, in Spanish because I think I since I learned Spanish in a more social context with friends and a, like as a team, that when I started learning, I think I kind of picked up a lot of like the humor. And I think some of the references that I have in Spanish of the things I enjoy, I think sometimes are based more around social things or funny things or enjoying things. And I think my relation to Spanish is a little more playful, a little more fun. So I think I would say either sarcastico or fun or something like that. I have actually a question regarding the Spanish. How, why did you get so passionate about that topic? Because you learn learning through high school, you went to CGIP. I think you went to university after that Hispanic country. Tell us a bit more about it, kind of how did you get so passionate about the topic that's not even your first language or your second language? Well, when I started learning it in high school, I kind of fell into it. Like, I didn't really seek it out. I took a class in high school that wasn't, uh, there wasn't that many choices. And I, I took it just because I thought it was going to be fun. But then I made some friends that came from, like, a Spanish-speaking background and then I got to know them and I made really, really good friends in high school. And then in Sejep, learned a little bit more. And then when it came time to choose a university program, I had already done, been on a trip to Peru and I spent a few months there. So I had this whole kind of like immersion experience and I learned a lot and I practiced a lot and I kind of saw the language in like a different context. And I thought it was really interesting and I liked it and I wanted to kind of continue it to have this tool to allow me to continue traveling and to continue talking to people and I thought well might as well just go as far as I can with it and then I did the undergrad and then the master's and now now the PhD and I don't regret it because it's it's allowed me to to travel and to meet really cool people and you know to to experience uh, life in a different way yeah and uh since you're speaking all of those languages do you sometimes use the what we call the code switching with a few people or do you usually uh, stick to one language 
No, I've been code switching my entire life. I think I've mastered the art of code switching. It's something we do very frequently at home. When I was a kid, I'm, I'm sure, you know, you guys have similar situations. When I was a kid, I kind of had to learn to not code switch because it's not always um, accepted in every space. Sometimes people just don't get it, especially like if you're in a unilingual setting, code switch just kind of feels maybe a little alien to people and I don't think they fully understand but at home and in many of the circles that you know like my family moved in it was totally normal to go between English and French that was just common it was actually kind of weird to only speak French or to only speak English uh, most people in my family can go between the two of them so it was always very common when I was a kid and then when I learned Spanish, I learned it in Canada with Spanish speakers that also spoke English and French. So code switching was also normal with them because they also did it too, you know? And now, I mean, my boyfriend is from Peru. He's, he's a Spanish speaker, he's a native speaker. We speak mostly in English, but French comes into the conversation often. So does Spanish a lot too. So it's always been a part of my life. And I think it's, I don't know, it feels very natural to me. And, you know, doing things differently would kind of be weird, but... I like it. It's interesting because I know you have a sister. Do you mm -hmm. talk to her in a specific language kind of specifically? Because I know with my brother, I speak Spanish and French, but mostly in French for some reason. I don't know why, instead of having the Spanish. So I'm interested in your situation with your sister. No, with my whole family, when we're all together, we mostly speak English with a lot of French inserted into it. When I'm with my sister, it's a little bit of both. We kind of switch back and forth, but English is kind of like the main language. But with like large chunks of the conversation will be <laughs> in French. Like the main sentence will be English, but there's like big sections <laughs> that will be in French. And uh, you said that for you, it's like a normal thing to code switch, to be with people that speak at least two languages or three or even more sometimes. Uh, have you ever experienced a moment in your life where you only had one option? The only time that that really happened, well, I mean, I think that there's two moments in my life where I was in a very unilingual environment. I mean, like I grew up in Gatineau between, you know, Gatineau and Ottawa with family from Northern Ontario. So those are both spaces that are that have a lot of bilingual um like a high bilingual population so going between those regions with my family being bilingual and code switching was very normal so i kind of had that as like the basic thing and then there was two situations where i was in more of a unilingual um kind of context the first one was when i did my exchange in chile where the university the city everybody, all the paperwork to do, all those things was all in Spanish, which was great. You know, it was fun. But it, I still had a lot of international friends that were also doing exchanges. So I was still able to speak English and speak French because I had you know, friends from France and Belgium and the US that kind of allowed me to continue my, my tradition of co-switching and to speak different, different languages to different people. Um, so there was that, but it wasn't fully unilingual. I still had like spaces to do that. But the one time where it was fully unilingual was this um, program I did in Toronto. I studied um, book publishing for about four months. I think the program was in uh, like a summer in, in at Humber College in Toronto. And there 
the you know the students uh you know in the class with me the the teachers and the city and everything was you know mainly in english english was just the common language for everyone and it was the dominant language and i found myself in very 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 few situations where i could speak french or i could speak english or spanish because english was just everywhere and that was the first time that i kind of felt it where I was like, oh, I can do that thing that I normally do where I go from one to the other to the other. And it was it was a little bit weird, you know? It was just different. And I felt it kind of boring, you know? And I kind of missed, you know, what I normally do, which is go between a bunch of different things. And it felt just, I don't know, it just felt different. And it felt like those sides of me, like, you know, the side of me that, 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 that speaks French and the side of me that, you know, that, that learned Spanish, that those sides weren't really, you know, able to to really exist, you know, because it was just my Anglophone side that was being seen, you know, by other people. So that was a different thing. And uh, it made me re like realize how lucky I was and how much of a privilege it is to be in a space where you can kind of bounce between different languages and how fun it is, you know, when you when you when you realize it. I find it really specific situation since I feel like I have multiple identities depending on the language I speak. So for you, do you feel the same way? Is it different? I don't know. That's really hard to say because I think that's more of a question for the people in my life. <laughs> you know, like it, it would be interesting to ask, you know, the people that know me, that speak to me mostly in Spanish and the people that speak to me mostly in English and the people that speak to me in, in, in French to see how they perceive me. I don't know. I mean, I maybe because my relation to these languages are a bit different. And I, you know, like my experience as a speaker of each language is very different. Maybe that influences how I perceived or how I interact with people. I mean, you know, Spanish is not my my one of my first languages. It's a learned language. So I don't have that cultural baggage. and I don't have that experience that, you know, native speakers have with the language. So I don't know, maybe... I've been told that I'm a little bit more formal in Spanish because maybe I learned it in more of a like academic context. And I've been told on several occasions that I'm a little bit like uh, polite and informal in, in Spanish more than, you know, most people, you know, my, of my generation. Um, in English and French, I don't know, like I, they're, they're, they're languages I, I, I learned at home. So maybe I'm a little more, I don't know, you know, uh, more, more loose or more friendly in those languages. I don't know. But I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure it does impact it. But I I'm, I'm I wonder what people people. I feel like you're think. friendly in every single language you speak. But oh, that's thanks. me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, we'll we'll see. We'll do some interviews of uh, of everyone in your family yes. and friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so so you're saying that you you just explained how Spanish is a language where maybe you feel like it's. Uh, from the academia is from like more of a polite professional way uh, of using the language um, so are you maybe expressing your emotions because I, we know how important it is especially when you live in a foreign country how at some point you need to you know you need to say hey i'm sad or, I'm, I'm mad or, i'm happy or whatever uh, in which language do you think it comes first for you i don't know i mean i i think we can all we can always uh, communicate our emotions I think our emotions will always kind of come across right but I think maybe when I'm in situations where I kind of am allowed to express myself if I'm you know engaging in more creative writing let's say 
or something a little more personal, I think I tend to go towards French, like I lean towards French because I think I have a like more specific relationship to it. Maybe because English to me, yeah, it's a it's a family language and you know it's a community language too that I grew up in, but it's also like this hyper global, you know, very international language. So maybe it has less of like a, a more intimate intimate aspect to it than French, especially also because the, the French I speak is is you know more specific geographically and 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 socially and culturally to where I was raised and the family, you know, my family's heritage and stuff. So maybe because of it's, I have more of a personal, more close emotional tie to to French. Maybe that's why I tend to lean towards it whenever I have to write something more creative or more thoughtful. Or yeah, I think I think French is the one that maybe I'll choose to be more more creative and more expressive. Talking a bit about your specific context and how you learned them, did you have any specific situation where you felt? misunderstood or kind of it happens something strange in the situation that you just got stuck just alone lost yes (laughs) (laughs) i mean there was obviously some some situations where i was traveling in a spanish-speaking country and i mean as you guys know spanish has many 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 different you know uh, differences across across latin america and across spain across the entire spanish-speaking world and vocabulary changes a lot so there's a lot of moments where I was maybe traveling in a Spanish-speaking country and I hear a word and I'm like, I know what that means to me, but I think you're using it in a different way. And there was also sometimes where I said a word and I can tell that the person was like, I don't know what that means for you. <laughs> you know? And I think that happens in Spanish. That happens a few times where I'm like, I have to think, is this word internationally understood or is this word a local word that I learn from someone from a specific place and if i'm speaking to someone that's not from there will they you know is this word something that they use and so sometimes i have to like negotiate that but then other than that what would happen to me when i was younger is i would often confuse things in, in english and french i would mix words up but also but something that happened a lot was uh growing up i went to school in french and whenever i was with cousins who spoke english sometimes they would talk about things vocabulary related to school sometimes I wouldn't know what it is like the word for locker like when I was a kid I would not know what that the word would be because I never used that term in my context because I would just call it cause and that was the word I used for it so hearing you know one of my anglophone cousins talk about their locker when I was younger I wouldn't maybe have understood what that is or things that they would learn things related to math math vocabulary when I was a kid in English was just just a foreign language I had no idea what you know the the vocabulary was that happened a lot when I was a kid where like things related to school things we learned I always had a trouble explaining it to my cousin talking about it with my cousins and my cousins would say things that I had no idea what it was but really you know it was just a matter of you know translating yeah I, I feel like it happens to everyone as for me for sure when I've traveled uh when I was living in Mexico I cannot even count how many times I got lost into conversations, into translation of wondering, I know this word, but I'm, I'm, that's not what I've learned from this word. I'm pretty sure that's not what they mean. Yeah. Or when I'm using it uh, same way, or even when I'm using exp- Mexican expressions. And if whenever I go to Spain, for example, I know they don't understand me in some moments because of the expressions I have in, in Mexican Spanish. 
and and especially they have an accent that is kind of uh let's put it a little bit odd it, it's a mix of different things because i also do in, in spanish the uh Gio, like uh argentinian people for mm-hmm. uh because of <laughs> oh thanks to uh our dear friend gabriela yeah. uh, so I, I i don't really know but it's true i know i do it because of her because i loved it so i said like hey that's how i want to speak so at first it was just for me to have fun and then it just started becoming my actual spanish and and i still do it and that's the only thing i do in argentinian spanish <laughs> so that's just the way it is but i was since you you said like for example as a kid you I, i guess french was a little bit more comfortable in the sense that you were using it especially at school what about now like do you feel as confident in all of the languages you speak Or is there any language you're not sure about uh, and you still have moments of uh, loneliness talking or expressing yourself? I don't know. I mean, I, I use these languages in different ways. And I think each I each have like, I have strengths in each one of them. But I don't think I would say that I'm, that I feel, you know, ever isolated or, you know, excluded from a conversation or... That I don't have like confidence I think I'm pretty confident in in all three I think it's also something that I learned like I, I through my life I've also had to learn that yeah when you grow up in a you know bilingual or multilingual context all the languages you speak will get influenced by the other languages you speak so you know people will you know hear my French in, in my English and people will hear my English in my French and people will hear both my French and English in my Spanish And and it's something that, you know, later on in life, as I grew older, I just had to kind of like accept and, and be like, well, you know, my my French is my French and specifically mine. And it reflects my relationship to it and the way I learned it. And my English will be my English. It will have the influences of my, my experiences. And that's that's the kind of English I speak. I speak mine and my Spanish will be my Spanish and it'll have the influences of all the people I've met and you know the places i've traveled and that's going to be my relationship to the language and that will be the kind of spanish i speak and i think once i like kind of learned that i gained a lot of confidence to be like yeah it doesn't really matter if someone feels that the way i speak a certain language is a little off or a little different or you know not fully what they would expect me to 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 speak like or to say i think once i accepted that I'm going to have influences and accents and they're going to come and, and go and they're going to flow. And then, you know, one year I'm going to have more influences of one language I speak and the next year I'll have a little bit more of the other one, depending on how I use them and how frequently. Once I accepted that, I just thought, well, you know what? That's how I speak. And that's it. I totally agree with that statement because for me too, kind of, I know my French has an impact on Spanish because of the R's. I don't know why I cannot pronounce them and also have the impact of my English. I know I have a Spanish accent when I speak English and I know I have an accent when I speak French. So, and I got to a point that I understood that I will be different. My language skills are going to be different depending of which language I'm speaking and the accents are going to be part of my life no matter what. And that's what it is. And I think it's important to understand that because it changes the perspective for the rest of your life yeah and i really yeah. admire you to the point that you got yeah that's what it is my life is going to change my life is going to change depending on the language i'm speaking and depending on the context i am in i really i'm really proud of 
seeing the efforts you're making to maintain them on a daily basis because I know Spanish is part of your life now. So I'm really I'm really happy for you that you are using it on your daily basis to have an influence on people. Thank you. That's very kind. And uh, talking about about this, how like I I remember I also felt so ashamed many times like when I the first time I uh, learned English really learned not not from the French system it was uh, back in uh, Renfrew Ontario <laughs> so close to Ottawa yeah. um, where I did that first exchange where it really changed my life and built on uh, built up my, my English pretty much so of course my English has changed since because I came back I had some kind of a weird Canadian accent from the Ottawa Valley and then it changed because of you know traveling practicing not practicing and so on but I remember that even still now sometimes but I, I really try to embrace that these accents mostly I have in all of the languages and depending like you said on the period of time and the moment and if you're using it or not but I know that in my teaching sometimes whether it's for English or for Spanish people sometimes expect you to not have an accent if we can say that But that's the whole thing. I'm, I'm actually wondering how do you guys, so Jesse and then Cassandra, how do you guys do to teach people how having an accent is, is just what it is? And especially when you learn a language when you're not five years old, well, of course you're going to have an accent and different accents. So how, how do you guys explain that and try your students to kind of the same way embrace the fact that they have an accent and they should be confident about it yeah that's a really interesting question um i think there's many factors to this i think cassandra uh, touched on it earlier one thing that is i think crucial as an educator is to be transparent and to be honest with your students and to say hey this is how I'm approaching this topic that I'm teaching. This is my relationship to it. And this is going to be my role, you know? And for me, it's very important that the students know I learned this language. Like it's not, I'm not a native speaker. And there's an aspect of, of, of the language that I will never access. I will never have that intuition that a native speaker has in their language. I will never have that immediate kind of knowledge of yeah that that sounds right that sounds wrong you know like i i still have to look things up and i have to you know constantly research things because i can only apply what i've learned about it you know so i have to be honest to the, with the students with to my, with my limitations and I'll, just so they know how i'm how i'm approaching it and in my experience they mostly really appreciate it And the moments where there's, you know, a question that they have, and I'm like, you know what, I'm not sure, let me look it up with you. And I look it up on the screen projected in the classroom, and they really appreciate that, the honesty for a teacher to, you know, not pretend that they are all-knowing, you know, and that they're, you know, these, like, perfect experts, because that's not, that's not a teacher, that's not, you know, that's not why we're there, we're there for them and to guide them, you know. But I think being honest with students and just also talking about your background and where you come from and how you came across this language kind of also shows them that there are different ways to, you know, learn a language and to and to teach it and to be a speaker. There's that. The other thing that we need to be very aware of is, I mean, in, in, in our specific context where we're talking about 
uh, English, French, and, and Spanish, those are three colonial languages. Like they are in the Americas for a reason, you know, and it's not a very good reason. So we also need to not reproduce those dynamics in the classroom. And that goes through not putting one kind of Spanish or one kind of English or one type of French over another, because that would just be reproducing this, you know, really terrible idea that the European version, the European, you know, variant is better, you know, or more sophisticated or more, you know, whatever, because that's, that's not true. There's no, there's no reason why any language, any variant of a language should be considered better than the other. They're all different and they're all, they're all born out of their own context. And it's important to just not do that, you know? And also when we teach, we sometimes teach to heritage speakers that come from very different backgrounds and they have their own relationship to the language through their families and through their own experiences. And we need to, you know, understand that and to incorporate that in, in, in the classroom because they're, what they can contribute and what they can bring um, is extremely valuable in the classroom. And, you know, it's just a, a positive thing for everyone in the classroom. And it's also important to just make everyone feel comfortable, you know, to, to speak how they want to speak it. And if we put communication at the center of things and we teach, you know, students that the important thing is to communicate and to create connections, then you're fine. <laughs> that's, that's the goal, you know, and the goal is not to imitate specific kinds of people. The goal is not to imitate a specific accent. The goal is to communicate and to engage with this language the way you want to and it with respect and with understanding and acknowledgement of you know what that means and i think that's that's my approach at least really strong thank you i really love to answer because i think the main thing is being open being open of who you are how you learn the language because it's going to have an impact on the way you approach teaching i know as a heritage speaker i always remember my classes university where I felt like I wasn't I wasn't learning anything I just felt like things were just not I wasn't passionate about it because it was so difficult to relate in so many levels that I found it difficult to really got into okay this is Spanish this is what I love about Spanish this is what I think it should be incorporated in the classrooms and the other thing is for me, the background, we all have a different backgrounds. We all have different Spanish. Uh, we have the Spanish from Cubans. We have the Spanish from Mexicans. We have the Spanish from Argentinians and Spaniards. We all have a different Spanish. And accents are going to be part of it. And we're going to teach depending on what type of Spanish you have. So I think it has a role on the way you approach things and, and shows the culture too. Because the other thing is languages are part of the culture. And I think it's just being open and specifically talk about your experience and how you learned them it's going to have an impact on the people that are going to receive the teaching and I think that has a huge impact on it and I think people will at the end of the day the goal is to communicate so if you have an accent it doesn't matter as soon as people can understand you and be able to connect at a deeper level with people from different societies I think at the end of the day this is teaching teaching we are teaching different levels of the language the culture the diversity and everything. So I think it has an impact. So yeah. 
I, I kind of want to stop on, on one thing you said, and then it's uh, I actually took notes of it because I'm, I'm going to keep it and develop the idea. Uh, you said that we should not reproduce uh, colonialism and its consequences within the classroom. We should not do it. Of course, I agree. Uh, but it's great how you explained it in the sense that saying that there's one, I'll take the example of French, saying that the French from France, because of the accent that apparently is more fluid and you know we all know there's that big debate and so on and and uh, it's more neutral for whatever reason and so on or chic. Uh, chic right mm. it's better than uh, the quebecois french or uh, or any other types of french or even um, some different types of french we have in africa for example i i love the idea of saying we should not reproduce those mistakes by saying this french is better than the other French, because no matter what, it's French. And, and uh, it's kind of a question of embracing, like you said, your, your background, your history, your identity, and making sure that, okay, hey, that's my French, or that's my Spanish, that's my English. But it represents who I am and what I've been going through in life. And it'll keep changing no matter what. And I really enjoy that. And that's a perspective I feel like, personally, I, I really want to I'm not going to say force onto in the sense, yeah, maybe incorporate would be a better word. Um, but I really feel like I need to say same for Spanish, like Spanish from Spain, the Castellano, and, and there's different Spanish too. It's not the only Spanish and the right Spanish. There's no right or wrong Spanish. It's just Spanish. And then it's a background. It's an accent. It's accents actually. And it's just a question of, Uh, embracing and engaging into yeah in into the diversity of the languages and the cultures we have so I really really enjoyed and thank you for that because I couldn't put into words why it was so important to me to say hey like it's not just about Spanish from Spain or it's not and like I try to explain always even to French people but not just French people we had that conversation with Cassandra how my French is no better than hers uh, or yours or anyone else's it's just a type of French I have and that's it and it's it sounds maybe more sexy to some people I don't know but it does <laughs> some but it's to some people it's not to everyone I mean it, it's definitely not to everyone right it depends on the language the perspective the sounds you're used to so thank you <laughs> No, I mean, no, thank, thanks for the, the comments. But I think, you know, we right now are a good example of like three different backgrounds with French, three different ways of, of, of coming to learn French, three different kind of uh, more family backgrounds, you know, in regards to, to, to language. And we have had many conversations in French and that's how we communicate and There's no issues in understanding it. Like, I mean, like there's no reason why we can't be in a room with three, four, five different, you know, uh, or francophones from three, four, five different, you know, linguistic backgrounds and not have a wonderful relationship and a wonderful conversation. And especially like the three of us back when we were in the same department university, I mean, the diversity in the Spanish amongst our colleagues was incredible, you know? We had professors from all over. We had colleagues from all over. There was heritage speakers. There was people that had recently come to Canada. There was people, you know, like that came at different ages. There's a million different ways to, you know, um, to be a speaker of the language. 
And that never stopped us from being friends. That never stopped us from having full, clear communication. And what that also allowed us was to learn from each other, you know? And it's like the amounts of, you know, expressions and vocabulary and just different things and accents and ways to pronounce things that I learned from, you know, from, from people I met at the at the university, you know, just enriched, you know, my experience and also my teaching because, you know, every once in a while I can throw in an example of like, hey, I have a colleague from this country and they always say this, you know, and then you can add it in there. And then the students at least have an idea that, you know, things are different in different places. I just realized right now, this is the first time we actually speak a whole conversation in English. Yes. <laughs> no, no, never, I never speak English <laughs> together usually. Yeah. <laughs> but but talking about it, like what would be one advice you would give uh, to our listeners? Like one specific advice concerning languages or life that you think is the most important one? Well, I would say that um, however it is that you identify linguistically or whatever kind of linguistic heritage you have, background, whatever your experience is, I say embrace it because it's a part of you. It's, it is a part of your identity. It tells a story. Your accent tells a story. Your vocabulary tells a story. Everything about you tells your story and embrace it because it's a unique experience and even if it seems complex even if it seems not like most people around you that's okay you know because that that's that's only that can only be an asset that you can you can use in your life i love so much your answer because of the word embrace it took me so much time to embrace my spanish my french or my english because of the accent but at the end of the day when i started to embrace things changed in my life things just made more sense and I felt more me and it shows diversity at the end of the day it shows who you are it shows your background it shows how you learn then it shows so many things about your life that not many people have that option so I feel lucky and blessed to be able to be multilingual it also helps me and on a daily basis so my question now is how does it work in your professional life now what are the projects you're working on since it's all happening right now and things you're actually finishing your phd now so what are your next projects finally <laughs> yeah yeah finally i'm not i'm not sure exactly i'm trying to keep uh, an open mind <laughs> to, to the future because i'm not exactly sure what i'm going to do after but what i would like to do is to continue teaching i think i've learned a lot about myself I've learned a lot about language. I've learned a lot about what it means to, to learn a language and to teach it uh, throughout the years. So I would like to continue doing that because it's also uh, something that helps me learn, you know, like every semester that I teach a course or language course, I always learn something, something new. You know, there's always a new question that no student has ever asked me before. And it makes me think and it makes me need to look something up and then I learn it and then I incorporate it into the next semester so it's it's a constant process of learning and I hope to continue that nice do do we have any uh, information about where we could uh, follow your adventures maybe yeah I have a personal website it's jessieleonard.ca other than that on all social media platforms jesse j leonard why the j though <laughs> It's my middle name. It, That's because, my... Yeah, Jesse Leonard on social media was already taken. So I have a J in there for my middle name. 
I didn't know that. So it was interesting for me to learn. <laughs> it's twice, two Jessies, Jesse and Jesse, twice. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess that's the end of our podcast. Thank you so, so much for being here, for answering the questions and, you know, talking about your life and your experience when it comes to uh, languages, but not only languages. Uh, honestly, I've actually uh, learned quite a few things and you've put some words uh, that I couldn't actually find from my own experiences. So thank you so much for that. I also want to thank you for allowing us to learn more about you because I know a few things I didn't learn about you. I didn't know about you before now. And I'm grateful that you are part of my life and you're teaching me things on a daily basis now. Kind of, I, I learned so much right now during our conversation. So I want to say thank you for that. And thank you for Get Confusing Together because I know our heads are spinning with different languages. <laughs> so it's really fun to have that opportunity to be able to speak about those topics that sometimes are misunderstood. So thank you for the time you're taking for us. No, and thank you for having me on this podcast and for thinking of me. I It's very flattering of you guys to, to, to have thought of me when you guys were planning this podcast, I feel... No, I don't know. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for giving me the space too to talk about things that, you know, I don't always talk about with people, but it's good to 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 talk to people that I missed, but also people that understands this, these things and are curious about it too. Thank you so much. And this is the end of our podcast. Uh, thank you for listening. You can replay it if you want or put a few comments. We'll read it and that's it, I guess. So see you soon on Widely Confusing Brains podcast.